If um, uh, you're part of the church and you're following the book, <laughs> as it were, we've come to um, the third Sunday and our heading is uh, Kingdom. And uh, this reading, the reading that I read, is a reading that has been uh, chosen with that uh, subject in view. And as I said before, if you follow uh, uh, through the coming week, uh, Luke chapter 7 uh, onwards, you will encounter this uh, story this morning. It has a lovely Bible word to describe it, the transfiguration. You almost think that's, somebody must have to make that word up really to fit what happened. Um, what we read about Jesus' appearance being uh, changed. This is a, an important um, event in Jesus' life because the other, um, two of the other gospel writers, Matthew and Mark, also record this event. So that suggests it's quite important, doesn't it? It takes place in the third year of Jesus' ministry, the final year. The year that uh, scholars sometimes describe as the year of opposition. The year when the priests and the Pharisees really started to gang up on him and uh, to plot what they thought was his uh, downfall. It also takes place during his third visit to Galilee. And uh, it's interesting to put it into context and see where it is. This follows on from... Uh, in the previous chapters, the disciples being sent out to preach and to heal all on their own. Jesus let them go to do things without him. And they were amazed at what they found they were able to do. It's also recorded the feeding of the 5,000. Some of us experienced that last night, didn't we? Yeah, it's pretty good. And Peter's confession, his acknowledgement of Jesus as the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God. So that's what came before. That's the kind of uh, setting. And uh, also in this chapter we read um, how that uh, the Lord speaks about them not telling anyone. He starts to speak about his death, what's going to happen in the future. He gives them a dissertation on true discipleship, talking about denying themselves and taking up their cross. And in those days, they knew what it was to take up a cross. It was what the Romans did to them. If they were criminals or rebelled or stepped out of line, they would have been used to seeing lines of crosses with people being crucified. That's how the Romans imposed their will upon them. And then we see this uh, statement as a little bit puzzling, that some would not taste death until they'd seen the kingdom of God. Now sometimes in the Bible when we read it says, and then, and we kind of think, well, you know, was that straight afterwards? We don't sort of know, do we? Sometimes it says straight away. And here it says about eight days or a week afterwards. So it helps, doesn't it? To know, time elapsed between uh, all of that and this wondrous event. And Peter, James and John, the triumvirate as it were, 
Some people put them sort of at the head as if they were more important uh, disciples than others. And uh, perhaps sometimes we do that uh, in church life and, and so on. But you know, the Lord calls us all to service. He gives us all gifts and skills and abilities. He gives us all a calling. And there's not a Peter or a James or a John. There's three Pauls, but uh, two Pete's, I think. Isn't yeah, but there we are. But uh, they were singled out. They were privileged to have this mountaintop experience. They see Jesus glorified and they hear God's voice. A glimpse, as it were, of heaven. A glimpse of what is to come. Now, in my notes, that's the introduction. So I am sorry, you thought I might finish about there. But... um, Uh, not so now there are many aspects about this event that we could speculate on or question and some of us love to do that don't we for instance how did they know it was Moses and Elijah anybody learned enough to answer I don't know of course if you know your Old Testament, you'll know there were two men, Moses and Elijah, who didn't really die. They haven't got a grave. They, uh, they were taken. Um, and they were Moses and Elijah. But does it matter? Moses and Elijah were present, and that's what caught Peter's attention. Why is it that at the end of the this incident, we read that they were silent about their experience. Perhaps it didn't seem right at the time to boast to the others about what had happened. Perhaps they wouldn't have believed it. Perhaps it's just that for a while they were just awestruck by what had happened and didn't have any words to say. It's a relief sometimes, isn't it, when somebody runs out of words? It's an encouragement sometimes when perhaps all we can do is just quietly contemplate the wonders of God and of his Son. Perhaps sometimes we have too much to say. But Peter never forgot the incident. And uh, in his own uh, letter, or the second of his two letters, um, that's assuming he didn't write Hebrews, and that's something else. Um, the second of his letters, he writes that uh, they had seen uh, the glory. He says, We were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Of course, Peter and all the other disciples never forgot their experiences. And John, when he writes, he tells us, well, there's so much happened, I've just put these in a book, just to fit in this book, so that you might believe. But there's not enough paper or ink, really, to write everything that happened. And so, this morning, as we just look briefly at this incident, we have to look and see what is there for us uh, to understand. We need to understand, of course, 
the glorious fact that this man called Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is also the son of God. That he was living and serving amongst the people of Israel 2,000 years ago. But he was God, Emmanuel, God with us. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. That's what was happening. What we saw acted out yesterday evening as a, as a play, as it were, uh, echoing the, the scriptures, was showing us that. That the Lord Jesus was in the world. But he was there to bring us to himself. He was there to restore that relationship with God that had been broken when sin came into the world. Because we love these stories, don't we? Because we can all say, ah, oh, impetuous Peter, there he goes again. It was great, wasn't it, yesterday when they, were, um, uh, they did the scenes where the Lord was preaching and teaching and uh, the crowd responded and there was Peter shouting back. But I guess that's how it would have been. I mean, you're a pretty silent bunch this morning. You know, I can't be certain, like, if anything's going in. I can't see anybody dozing off just yet, which is helpful. But, uh, do you know, I'm sure they did say to the Lord, well, you can't say that. That's too difficult. If I do that, that'll happen. And it's good for us, isn't it, you know, to just... Think about and respond to what we read and what we hear. And Peter, whose heart was in the right place, of course, because he wanted to linger. He'd been brought up with the law and the Old Testament. Here were the two heroes, Moses and Elijah. Of course he wanted to stay there and be with them. I guess that might be true of some of your heroes today. I, I don't want to guess who that might be. Be for, because for some of us it would be uh, different, uh, different people. For some, it would be related to sport, perhaps, would it? Or the world of music or something. And if those people were here today, we'd want to be with them. Jill and Mary had to go and speak to Jesus the actor yesterday evening. They resisted having their photo taken with him. They held back from that. But they did feel the need to go and, and speak to him. And he, he was a good actor. I mean, he really was. But you see, you can understand Peter's desire for this moment not to finish, not to come to an end. This was too good a thing. The other evening, uh, I watched a, a film on a, a DVD about the CIA. Some of you might have seen it. It's called The, the Good Shepherd. But I didn't realise when I started watching it that it was two hours, 40 minutes. Now, I like a good story, but really, it began to pale a little bit. But Peter, no way, don't end this. This mustn't end. Lord, look, let's make you comfortable. Let's get this thing set up right. We've got to stay here. We've no cause to criticize Peter. His heart was right. He just got it wrong. Would you do that? Truthfully, 
And we've talked about this in church, haven't we? We've talked about risk-taking. Truthfully, the people whose hearts are really right, who have a real desire to serve God, who really want to do things for him, often just sometimes get it wrong. Because you take risks. You won't achieve anything if we don't sometimes step out in faith. If we don't sometimes, with the right heart, of course, with the desire to serve God, not pursuing our own things, if we don't step out for him. So poor Peter, he didn't quite get it right, but his heart was right. You see, perhaps he wasn't really concentrating on what he was hearing. Perhaps he'd forgotten some of the things that he'd been told just a week or so before. Because you see, the Lord was talking here with Moses and Elijah about his departure. I think it says in other translations about his exodus. And if you go back to the original, it's, that's the kind of word. You see, it's, they were talking about what was going to take place in Jerusalem. About his death. About his giving of his life and leaving this world about his resurrection and about his ascension. He was headed for Jerusalem to suffer and to die for Peter, for me, for you, for all the other disciples. I'm glad we sang that hymn this morning. It's one of my favourites and I think I might have said this before but if you ever watch songs of praise and they sing that hymn, how great thou art, after you've seen it, write to the BBC. Because they leave it out. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. I suppose in the BBC it's not quite the thing to sing, is it? It's too near the mark. It's too real. The writer of that hymn, do you think that that was an intellectual exercise? Those words came from his heart. So you watch the next time that they sing that hymn, they miss it out. They miss out the middle verse. I suppose it fits into the schedule in just two verses and a chorus. So if they do, you write to the BBC, points of view or whatever it is, and say, Paul Pace from Five Head, he told you, and they say, who's he? So the Lord was preparing the disciples for these momentous events. But poor Peter, he kind of missed the point. He missed the point. And uh, just wanted to really linger in this event. You see, the Lord was often speaking of his coming trial and death. He warned them about persecution to come. And in the Gospel of John particularly, we read how he told them that there would be a comforter, the Holy Spirit, who would come in his place. So what happened next? Page two of two, okay. What happened next? Well done, Peter. What a good idea, Peter. No. They were caught up in a cloud and they heard the voice of God. This is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. And then, well then, there was just Jesus. Jesus alone. 
should be careful here, shouldn't I, with the intonation of my voice. Not just Jesus, but just Jesus. Not only Jesus, but only Jesus. No one else. No one else to listen to. No one else to follow. No one else to obey. No one else to worship. No one else to trust. Just Jesus. We're surrounded these days by many, many messages. But there's only one message that really matters, and that's the message of Jesus. I'm conscious of the time, so I'm going to rush on. The title of our series is As in Heaven, taken from the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. If we pray that prayer as those that are believers and followers of Jesus, we are looking forward to a heaven, to an eternity in the presence of God and his son Jesus. It expresses the longings of our hearts. Yes, there is that heaven for those who, what? For those who call themselves Christians? For those who believe? For those who say they're part of the family of God? For evangelicals? I'm not sure about in America, that's a kind of English word to describe us. For Baptists? Followers of Jesus? Those who've been saved? The redeemed? These are all words, aren't they? And they're words we use that trip off the tongue. In the Gospels, Jesus' followers were called disciples. It, it involves the acknowledgement of sin. It involves repentance and acceptance of Christ's sacrifice, trusting and following him. Not a matter of choosing our own way to God, but following his way. So there are those for whom there is just Jesus. But with that privilege comes the responsibility to follow and to serve in every aspect of our lives. Remember what we said from the Lord's Prayer, on earth, the here and now, with all its problems and difficulties, joys and sorrows, as it is in heaven. We are called to be God's kingdom here on earth, to take up our cross and follow him. As you read on in, uh, into the, um, uh, the, the chapters here following from this reading, you will discover that they come down from the mountain and are immediately confronted with the realities of life. The boy with the evil spirit that the disciples failed to drive out. Arguments about who should be the greatest. Opposition as they find themselves in Samaria. It's good to have mountaintop experiences. I think some of us had that yesterday evening. Perhaps today, as we're here in church, as we've shared in the, our worship with these lovely songs, as we share communion together. Perhaps that for us will be a mountaintop experience. And that's good. But the idea is not to linger. But for those experiences to equip us, to strengthen us, to enthuse us, 
to live the life that God wants us to live. Each day, moment by moment. Another little personal confession. Sometimes I've come to church here and we've had a wonderful service. Just wonderful. I'm not the most hands up, jumpy up and downy type of person those that know me know. But I have my way, my quiet way. And sometimes I've gone home and felt really blessed and uplifted and enthused. Then comes Monday morning. And who rolls out of bed? Mr. Grouch. Mr. Grouch, eh? So much for the mountaintop experience. Some other experience then. But uh, yes, it really doesn't just stop, does it, on the mountaintop. It's about living our lives day by day, moment by moment. As people of the kingdom, we are those who desire to see God's kingdom built here on earth. The Lord said, I am building my church. But he didn't say, I'm doing it on my own. He says, I've got a job for you to do as part of that. Surely we're the people of the kingdom, those who follow his teachings, those who live and witness for him. Now, if we had uh, time, we might uh, expand on the state of the world in which we live. Because as I was preparing this, that certainly came to my mind. This isn't a wonderful place. It is in many aspects, and we are privileged living here in the comfortable West. But there are many parts of the world where I would just tremble to even be, let alone live there uh, and uh, try and uh, try and live there and uh, do what, what I do. So you might want to do that in the quiet. But the important thing is, is that wherever we find ourselves, whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, we are those that are to shine out for him, to bring to the people we, the people we know, to see in us the person of Jesus, that they might uh, come to know him too, to be part of the kingdom of God.